Uh, well, good morning. Thank you for having me back uh, to finish our discussion that we started last week on hospitality and what hospitality is, um, what it benefits. Uh, so we'll do a quick review of what we talked about last week and then try to finish up the study. And I appreciate Joel and letting me come back. Uh, but it's, it was providential because he, there was a need in the, what, seven-year-old class, Kelly? And that's more fitting for Joel. Um, no, I'm kidding. There's a, I'm, look, I need to stop there because we're here to edify and to be hospitable to one another. So, But no, I, I've, Joel is one of the more flexible servants that you will ever meet and come across. And so I am thankful he was willing to serve in any way and then allowing me to come back and finish our discussion here. But uh, this is definitely... Uh, always been a uh, desire and uh, burden in our life, Kay and I, in regards to serving in this way of hospitality. And again, uh, when we think of hospitality, we think of kind of taking opportunity to open up our home, to host people, uh, to serve people in that way. And it absolutely is a valuable ministry in the church. Many of you serve in that way uh, in the various ministries that we try to facilitate as a church, but then you're doing it on your own as well. But I want to talk about what more the attitude of hospitality is and what it should be in our life that obviously is manifest in a willingness to host and to serve people in that way and opening up your home, but it's more an attitude of opening up your life, opening up your heart, and welcoming people into your life. And pursuing them in their life. Uh, And we touched on that a little bit last week about how this should be exercised in the church uh, in many ways, you know, specifically on a Sunday morning, how we relate and interact with one another, knowing that we're very challenged in being able to do that in just the limited amount of time that we have here. But are we connecting in deep ways that allow us to serve each other beyond just our interaction, cordial interaction on Sunday morning. Um, And and what I want to encourage you to do is, as we talk about what hospitality looks like in our life and in others, don't walk out of here uh, now measuring and judging people about how hospitable they're being to you. Okay, This is a, a, a desire to edify and exhort you to examine your own uh, desire to serve people in this way, uh, how you're pursuing people, how you're desiring to just go beyond the cordial greetings, sincere greetings. I'm not saying we're not sincere in our efforts to, uh, to connect and reach out to one another, but what are we doing to go beyond uh, meeting basic needs? Are we making ourselves available uh, to serve others in deeper ways? Are we even allowing ourselves to be equipped to serve others in this way, and, and really thinking about what the benefit of this uh, attitude or this gift is, and how the Lord is using you in that to strengthen this church, to uh, allow you to serve this church with the gifts He's given you through the Spirit of God. And so we looked at you know some of the examples of hospitality in the Scriptures. We looked at the exhortations that are there, and we touched on the purposes and the benefits of it. And we talked about it a little bit, so quickly in review, uh, it's a ministry really of the Word of God. If we 
want to consider what the Word of God means in our life and how it is used to, as a, uh, a resource and really what brings about sanctification in our life, right? That's what Je- Jesus says in uh, uh, John 17, that the Word of God is, it, that we're sanctified by the truth, thy Word is truth. Uh, so we need to think about the ministry of the Word of God, not only in our own life, but how we're using the Word of God in other people's lives. Are we ministering the Word of God in other people's lives? So when you think about your area of service in a church or even just in your life, are you equipped to minister and serve people uh, because of your understanding and because of your dependence on and because of your ability to use God's Word, not only in your life, but in others' lives. Well, my, my, the premise is hospitality, the, the idea of hospitality, the, the attitude of hospitality is what allows you to engage the community around you so that you can minister. So you can see it kind of as the gateway of ministry. Meaning, if we're not hospitable in our life, if we're not thinking in this way, we're, we're closing the, the door to the opportunities that we might have to serve others. And is that even how you think? And of course, we always want to challenge ourselves and, uh, and one another about why we even come to church. Do we come because we have needs? Uh, of course we do. Uh, do we come because we need encouragement? Of course we do. But are we only seeking to come to be served? Or do we desire to serve one another? And we talked about that last week that we uh, see in 1 Peter 5 that we are to uh, th- cast our anxieties off and, and, and give them to Christ because He cares. And if each of us were diligently pursuing Christ in that way and that we were casting off our anxieties, it's not pretending we don't have anxiety. It's not pretending that we don't have uh, cares that overwhelm us. But it's, it's diligently and dutifully d- dumping those things on Christ uh, because He cares. And He says, My yoke is easy and burden is light. Cast your cares upon Me. And this is just a dynamic of your relationship with Christ. It's not taking opportunity to have a carefree life. It's trusting the Lord and, and, and pursuing Him in relationship because you know that He loves you and you know that He cares for you and you know that He can, uh, is able to minister to you. And what that does, it enables us then to come and serve one another uh, by way of testimony and, and, and professing what God's doing in our life, trusting Christ in every way, and then also uh, uh, practically serving one another, counseling one another, exhorting one another, and then even serving one another in material ways uh, in, in, in life as needs come up. And this is really is the strength of a church and the, uh, how a church is to grow when it, each, each of its families and individuals are pursuing Christ in this way and not seeking to come and, and take it as an opportunity to dump your cares on others, even though uh, there's occasion for that. But first and foremost, our responsibility is to make sure we 
are believing and trusting the Word of God in our life so that we are being ministered to by the Word of God in our life so that we then can come and serve one another. Uh, And what a, a... uh, wonderful opportunity for communion and service to one another. And so we see the two benefits uh, in, in regards to the ministry of hospitality, that it is a, a kind of a, an, a way in which we can minister the Word of God to one another, first in the body of Christ, the community of believers. Uh, and we see that in Romans 12.10 where it says, Be devoted to each other uh, in love and uh, we are strengthened in fellowship with one another. We commune and worship together. Uh, and we can only do this uh, to the limit in which we know and serve and love one another. So the, the more hospitable we are to one another, the sweeter our fellowship is, the, 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 the deeper our worship is together. Galatians 6.2 says you know, that we are to bear one another's burdens thereby fulfilling the law of Christ. If you want to know how to please the Lord, of course, we love Him and we love others. And this is the fulfillment of the law. And we do that by bearing one another's burdens. Um, and then we see James one twenty seven that we are to care for one another. And in that specifically, we practice religion to care for the widows and the orphans, knowing that there are deep needs within the community. We do this through hospitality. Secondly, it is a ministry of outreach. Uh, it is a way in which we bear light among the community. You know, they know that we are of God because of the love that we have for one another, right? So, so we bear a light in the community because of how we're relating with one another. And, and this being exercised through hospitality towards one another. Um, and we see that in 1 Corinthians 5. I'm not sure if we got there last week, but um, it, it talks about associating with the world. And, and Paul clarifies this idea in, in issues and matters within the church that we are to, to not only deal with uh, professing Christians in the church in confronting their sin, but ultimately they're to be cast out. But Paul was clarifying and said, look, I, I didn't say you were not to associate with uh, the unbelievers in the world. I, I was saying, don't associate with the so-called brother who is immoral and idolatrous and a coveter uh, and, and all these things. So the point is, from an outreach standpoint, we are to associate with the world. We're to relate to people outside the church. And, and this is a way in which we can show hospitality um, to those outside the church, to relate to them and associate with them in intimate ways. Whether it's your neighbors, uh, whether it's your coworker, uh, extended family, um, there are many uh, contexts in your life where you are uh, in a situation where you have to relate with unbelievers. And the question is, how are you going to relate to them? Are you going to kind of judge them, have a prejudice towards them because... They're unbelievers, and they are, you know, as Paul uh, goes down this list that he says uh, that they are covetous, swindlers, idolaters. Well, he says, I did not mean that you're to not associate with the moral people of this world, because then you would have to go out of the world. Okay, so providentially, in, in God's 
wisdom and design, He has placed us in the world for a purpose. And that is we are to relate and associate with them in ways that are, uh, uh, in a way to be a light to them, uh, in a way that would draw them to Christ. Um, the proverb says that the, the, the fruit of a righteous man is a tree of life. Okay, we are to bear the righteousness of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, and even to those that see our lives are drawn to it like a tree of life, which would bear fruit for nourishment, which would provide shade for comfort, which would uh, give off beauty to the eyes. This is what our life is to be to the world outside. And it ought to draw people. And then the second half of that proverb says that he who wins souls is wise. Okay, it's not talking about conversion or converting people. It's talking about uh, men and women being influenced by your life so much that they're attracted to it and they want to know what it is in your life, the hope that's within you. And so we're winning people over by the way we live our life. And that is in how we are to show hospitality to the world around us. Are we shutting people out of our lives? Are we disinterested in people around us who don't claim the same belief and faith that we have, who don't go to church with us? Are we shutting them off? And that's so it is a ministry of outreach. Uh, and we see it in Colossians 4, 5, and 6, where Paul says, We are to walk with wisdom toward outsiders. Okay, this is what he's talking about. We have a wisdom in understanding what we understand about the gospel, what we understand about our own life and what we've been saved to and what we've been saved from. And we also understand that in God's sovereignty and His providence, He is working all things out for our good. So our life is not overwhelmed by circumstances and adversity and difficulties because we see the glory of God in those things. And we see that it's for our good. It's part of our redemption, our sanctification. The outside world doesn't know that. But guess what? Their problems are the same as ours. They go through the same struggles, the same adversity, the same challenges, because this life and this world is affected by the curse of sin. And, and it is actually a mercy of God that they're going to have struggles in life because it may be the very thing that draws them to himself in the same way it did for many of us. If I were to listen to your testimonies, it would be all about how the Lord used a challenge, a circumstance, a test in your life to reveal himself to you. And then even now as we walk in this sanctification, in the grace of God, we still reflect on his goodness through difficult circumstances. Okay, so this is what the outside world is going through. And guess what? We have the wisdom. We know. Not because we were wiser than they, but because God's mercy poured into our lives. And Paul says, walk with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Okay, we're to redeem the moment. We're to redeem those opportunities. But if we're not hospitable, and we're going to talk about specifically what that means, if we're not opening our lives and welcoming people into our lives in a hospitable way, then we're, we're shutting off those opportunities that, that Paul's saying, you've got to make the most of them. And he says, it's easy, just let your speech always be with grace. And, and we, maybe another time Joel lets me come and teach, we can talk about what that means. But when we speak with grace, it means we're not judgmental. We're not uh, closing the doors of our life to them because we're concerned about their influence in our life because they're not Christians, but yet we are trying to expose our lives to them so that we can influence them. 
knowing that God will keep us. And, and there's no temptation that will overtake us that they can bring into our life. But we do that with wisdom. Again, I think last week we joked, it doesn't mean I go out to the local bars and sit next to the drunkards and, and, and uh, participate with them in their activities, but yet I love those people. We have to love the, the, the wicked and the immoral to the point where we're willing to, to open up our lives to serve them because they need Christ. And it's beyond, honestly, uh, I, I love any mode and method of evangelism that we use is, is a tool that the Lord can use, but it's beyond passing out a track. It's beyond confronting them with, the, with just the gospel. Even though that is an absolute need in our life to be able to, and willing to do that. But it, it goes beyond in, in, in serving people in a way where we're willing to give up our time and our energy to minister to people who are suffering, regardless of what they think. And so we, we bring the gospel, the truth of God, into the context of their life. And I can't do that in a five-minute conversation. Uh, there's a lot the Lord can accomplish in uh, an encounter like that, a, a five, ten uh, hour-long conversation with somebody about the gospel. And, and the Lord uses that. But, but that can't, we can't limit our evangelistic ministry to that mode only. We have to be evangelistic in every way we think. We do it by being hospitable to people. So there is an absolute need for hospitality in the ministry of outreach. Um, now we talked a little bit about what, what is hospitality and it's, uh, I think the point's been made, it's beyond um, a practice, it's beyond just what we do in serving, whether we, whether we host a dinner or we have people over, uh, even to watch a game uh, or some activity to serve, but it's really more an attitude of the heart. Any, any, uh, genuine Christian act or behavior, first of all, has to originate from the heart, right? No matter what we do in practice, if it's not coming from the heart, it's, it's not going to be uh, given with the right motivations. It's not going to be potentially something that pleases the Lord. It may not be genuine in your life, and, and so therefore it won't have the effectiveness that the Lord would desire to have as we serve people. So it goes beyond just welcoming people into your home. It's really an attitude of welcoming people into your life and opening up your heart to people and being hospitable in that way. And we kind of touched on that last week. Eric asked a, a good question about how, what we, how we relate as we pass each other in the hallway, realizing are we sensitive to what people may be going through? And again, there's so many challenges on a Sunday morning, but it really is what is our... Uh, desire to connect with people when we come here or when we relate in other settings like community groups or uh, other type fellowships that we have. Uh, what is our mindset? Are we truly desiring to connect so that we may be able to minister in ways that would strengthen not only uh, individuals and families, but this church, this body of believers and how we relate? So let's turn to First Peter 4, 9. I want to of the several passages that deal with hospitality, this, I think, is really gives the strongest connection between what Christian love is in relation to hospitality. 
because uh, it really ties in unconditional love in how we relate. Meaning, if, we, if our mode is not to love each other in a Christ-like way, in an unconditional way, then I will fail to be hospitable uh, in truly uh, understanding what it means to be hosp- hospitable. So you have to bring in this attitude of unconditional love. And, for, and Peter does it here in 1 Peter 4.9. He says, starting in, uh, let's start in verse 7. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober-minded for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. So let's kind of walk through that passage and, and, and get a, a, a broader understanding of hospitality and what it is in our life. Uh, but when we look first and foremost, he says the end of all things is near. He's not talking about the end of time, the end of, of life as we know it. As believers, we understand we are, uh, we're progressing towards a culmination of, of truth in regards to the kingdom of God and, and the kingdom of Christ that will be established here for a millennial and then into the eternal realm. And Peter's just saying, look, th- this is upon us. It's imminent. And the end of all things is near. So, so it ought to motivate us. He says, therefore, it ought to move us to be uh, diligent and to be aware of this, that we can't pretend and live our life as if uh, it's just going to continue on in its mundane fashion. And we're just enjoying the pleasures along the way. We have to realize there is something at work here. There's a plan of God that is being worked out in every moment that we live and breathe. And we need to recognize that, and it ought to to move us. And he says, therefore, be of sound judgment, sober-minded for the purpose of prayer. Now, this is basically uh, making us aware that... uh, when you examine your prayer life, would you say that you, your prayer life is undistracted? That there's nothing that really distracts you in your prayer life? I mean, when we examine it, we, we could think about, okay, how, how much time do we spend in prayer? Uh, what is the attitude of my prayer? What is the, the content of my prayer? What's the purpose of my prayer? Is it really undistracted prayer? And I, I just... I know personally I fail in this and in, in being able to come in with a sober mind and with sound judgment and undistracted prayer. Meaning I'm not worried about, you know, when, when you talk about sound judgment, it really goes in line with Joel's message last week about a biblical worldview. You know, do we really see things in right perspective, filtered through truth and the word of God? Are we sound in our judgment or do we perceive circumstances or people and misjudge things? And I'm not talking about misjudging character or attitude. I'm talking about misjudging God's purposes in life and what he's accomplishing. Meaning, are we fully trusting, entrusting our life to him in sound judgment to judge things rightly as as we deal with life's challenges? You know, no temptations overtaking you, such as common to man. Every one of us walk out of here, and we have common to man struggles. But I guarantee you, if we started comparing one another's struggles, 
we would try to one-up one another. Oh, you, but you don't understand. I, what I'm going through is different. No, 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 no. You don't understand. What I'm going through is more unique. No, no. I mean, we could go on and on. No matter how charmed our life might be, we're, we're struggling in the inner man to see things rightly. And we're, and we're prone to complain about these things. And, and so we, we, we don't have sound judgment in these things. We're not perceiving them in light of the scriptures where God says God causes all things to work together for good. It's part of your redemption. And, and he didn't bring it. James 1 says that if you are tempted, meaning if you're struggling in your life and you don't understand what's going on, he says, don't blame God. When you're tempted, don't say that you're tempted by God, for God does not tempt any man, nor has he been tempted. But when you're tempted, you're being led astray by your own lust and desires. But he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, if, if you're not rightly judging, if you're lacking the understanding, what does James exhort us to do? Ask God. Guess what? Because he knows He has the wisdom. So if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God, and He will give it to you without without restraint. He gives it to you liberally. He he wants us to walk in sound judgment and with a sober mind so that our prayers will not be distracted. Uh, You you look at uh, Jesus' prayer in John 17 as He's praying for us, says, Lord, keep them. And he says, but I'm not asking you to remove them from this world, but to keep them from the evil one. Okay, so in this world, we have struggles and distractions that affect our prayer lives. And Christ is asking God to keep us, to preserve us, to sanctify us. But he said, you know, like he had to clear it up with God as if God didn't know, but he really was clearing this up for us and said, I'm not asking you to remove them from this world. If you don't realize that the culmination of our life is to be with Christ, if you're not excited and looking forward to that, then you're being distracted by this world. Okay, And your prayers are hindered. But we ought to be realizing that our redemption, our salvation is not complete. And it is coming. And it's imminent. Christ could return at any moment. And we ought to be looking for that, excited about that. In fact, it motivates us to purity even now, as First John 3 says. So we, we have to be undistracted. And Christ was uh, acknowledging that, that the truest form of, of perseverance is when we're removed from this world. But he was making sure the Father understood that, said, I'm not asking you to remove them from the world, but keep them from the evil one. Of course, Satan desires only to bring distraction in our life by messing with our minds, our thinking, by... Removing sound judgment. That is the realm of satanic influence. Is messing with our ability to perceive and understand truth. And, and that's all he has to do. Because when we're not perceiving things rightly, we're a mess. We're, we're not trusting the Lord. Our prayers are hindered. And sin will over, overtake us as it desires to do. So we have to be of sound judgment, sober-minded, and undistracted in our prayer, and uh, we've got to think with reason. We have to be merciful and patient towards others, knowing that when we're distracted, we it affects our ability to serve and love one another. 
uh, and we're neglectful uh, to grace and humility. Um, and secondly, it, in verse 8, it says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. So when, this, when you see the phrase above all, it really is saying, of, of what I'm saying, this is the most important thing. So give special ear to, to this particular truth or saying. And that is keep fervent in your love for one another. Uh, and that idea of fervent love is the idea that we love without ceasing, that, that this is true, a true expression of unconditional love. What it means to love without conditions, meaning no matter what I experience, what, what uh, is uh, done to me, that the most important thing I can have in my life that will demonstrate uh, Genuine faith in my heart is that I endeavor to love one another above all. No matter what anyone does to me, says about me, no matter what uh, hardships come, that we're to endeavor to be fervent in love for one another. And this is a true expression of unconditional love, that, we, that it never ceases. The, the, the Greek word that we translate fervent uh, describes um, really a, a runner in a race who is striving to get to the finish line. And he realizes that all the training and everything he's done to prepare for that race would all be futile if at some, at some point in time in the race he could not continue and he just simply stopped. There would, there would be no greater disappointment in his life, but yet he strives to the finish line. And this is what the nature of our love should be. That no matter how difficult it gets to love one another, and even to, to love God in light of what we think we deserve from God, that we are to keep fervent in love towards one another. And that's the true unconditional love, right? It's Romans 5.8 type of love, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. The greatest expression of love. And this is the love we're to have for one another. And this is how this love is expressed in particular in this verse. It's not saying that when we have this love, we will have an absence of adversity, that we will not sin against one another. Basically, it's stating the reality that when we sin against one another, what does love do? What does it do? It covers it. Okay? Love covers a multitude of sins. Okay, we have to face the reality in our life that we're not perfect, that we are sinners. Now, our hearts and our motivations have been transformed, and we are to continually transform our thinking by the diligent study of God's Word and, and faithful application of that in our life and recognizing these things. But along the way, as I offend you and you offend me, if we cannot have Christ-like love for one another, then we will fail to love one another. Okay, And, and again, there, there's a wisdom in regards to uh, the nature of our sin against one another. At, at some point, we might have to step into an opportunity to confront one another. But we, we understand the Scriptures give us clear guidance in how to do that. 
never removing the motivation of love. Even when we have to confront one another, our desire is to restore. And Matthew 18 says that if, if you, a brother sins, you go to him in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. It doesn't say if he listens to you, you've won. Meaning we're trying to prove a point that I was right and you were wrong. Or, or you had no right to treat me that way, but you did and I want to, to, to confront you with that. Now our desire, the motivation to love one another, even when we confront one another, never changes. It means that if you have sinned against me in a way that I feel like I need to confront, I do it because I love you. I do it because I'm concerned about you, hoping I'm wrong. If I'm willing to judge motives, I go hoping, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that what I'm concerned about is, is a misunderstanding. And when we find out that it was a misunderstanding, then we just, then the love covers. We move on. You've won your brother. Okay, and then we know there's a, the, the demonstration, potentially a demonstration of unrepentant sin. And the scriptures give us clear guidance on how to deal with that. But I'm talking about day-to-day interaction when we are potentially going to offend one another. It's unavoidable. We desire not to, and, and I don't want to be mistreated. But yet, if I truly love unconditionally in a manner in which Christ has loved me, Matthew 7 is very clear what Christ teaches in the sermon, that if we were to uh, be measured by the same judgment in which we measure others, we would have no hope. Meaning, if, if God were to, to express a level of mercy towards us that we show to others, w- would you be able to stand His judgment? So we have to let love cover. we got to remove the judgment and the prejudice. And, and the whole point there is I think this is what hinders us from true hospitality towards one another. True uh, uh, welcoming and opening our lives up because we're prejudiced. We, we judge one another. Okay, whether we think that people don't care about us or I don't care about people enough to reach out to them. And so we have to be... Uh, uh, fervent in our love towards one another, where it covers a multitude of sin, which is the true nature of godly love, and that's forgiveness. The, the greatest expression of our love for one another is forgiveness. And it doesn't always have to be transactional forgiveness, where I say, hey, you've, you offended me. Well, brother, I'm sorry. I, I confess and I repent. Great. Uh, deeper love for one another. But even at times where I just live in a mode of forgiveness, I forgive you. Please forgive me. This has got to be the attitude of our heart. This is what we've received from the Lord. We have to, and this goes to the offending world around us, that we can't put up the wall of prejudices to our neighbors and our coworkers, thinking, okay, they don't think like I do, they don't live like I do, they practice all sorts of immoralities, and they do it, you know, blatantly before the Lord. And I, so I'm going to shut them up. I'm going to shut them down. I'm not going to relate to them. I'm not going to uh, let them influence my life. Now, we need to, to exercise forgiveness even to those around us. Not, you know, in, in ungodly ways uh, or ways that could uh, potentially put you at risk. But we need to, to be willing to open our lives up to them inhospitable ways. Um, Now let's look at the term hospitable. 
in the next 20 minutes. I think we can get it in there. I, I don't think I will have the mercy and grace of getting a third <laughs> session on this. So let's look at that word hospitality. In verse 9, when it says, show hospitality, be hospitable to one another without complaint. There's a lot there. Uh, first of all, the term hospitable comes from a compound word in the Greek, philos, um, xenos, and philos, you, you would recognize, it is a ter- one of the terms for love, and it, and it specifically speaks of uh, love of a companion or a, a, a brother. So it's where the term Philadelphia comes from, the city of brotherly love, and y'all have heard that before. And so this idea of, of the beloved, when we come together with one another, we come desiring to share this type of love with one another in uh, our interaction with one another. Now, the deeper love, of course, is that agape, unconditional love. But as we're, if you want to apply love in, in ways of relating to one another, it's this philos type of love that we express, uh, treating each other like we were brothers and sisters, which we are in Christ. Um, but the idea here is not treating those whom we love in this way. Uh, that term xenos is the term for foreigner or stranger or outsider or guest. And so the term hospitable then means that we're lovers of strangers, that we are to love strangers. So the question is, who are strangers? And that's where I think a deeper examination of knowing how we identify strangers in our life would help us understand who we're to be hospitable to. Now, of course, we grow up learning that we are not to talk to strangers, right? So who is that stranger? You know, we're talking about, you know, the, the scary guy that doesn't look... Again, here I go judging the outside world, okay? You know, that individual who may have been going through a circumstance that just... Uh, puts him in an, in an oddity of sorts in society or community, or just somebody we don't know because it's a scary world that we live in and we don't want to talk to strangers. So it's really someone we don't know, but even beyond, it's you know, not just a neighbor because there are neighbors we haven't met, but it's like when we're in the world at a shopping center, in the mall, or at a ball game, we're walking among strangers. And, you know, we don't want our children talking to strangers. They have no business talking to strangers. Uh, There's no conceivable reason why they would talk to an individual. But we're talking about something different in in light of strangers. Um, I I would contend, and this is why I have the little blackboard here, if we were to put a... We are really deficient in our markers... Um, How about I use this permanent marker and I'll show them. (laughs) There we go. Okay. So if we had a concentric circle to kind of measure, you know, uh, from an intimate and and outward who uh, people that we relate to. And let's say that this is you or me. But as you look at it, it's me as in you. Um, And then who would we have here? We may have. Uh, what would be the first circle of people related to family? You know, you could say, of course, your spouse, children. Uh, now, some of you might put your extended family way out here, 
like in-laws and stuff. But for this illustration, I, I think they should go here. So we're talking extended family. Um, and then who would be next? You may have friends. And that could be, you know, friends in the church, friends in your life. Um, and, then, and then here you could definitely uh, justify the order in any way, but you could put neighbors, you know, in your community, wherever you live, um, everyone is our neighbor, biblically, but then you could put co-workers, and, and on and on. Okay, so I would contend that we relate to people differently in this sphere, in this circle, based on our prejudices. Okay, prejudice meaning in regard to how we view them, how we judge them. And and we're just going to think differently about people we're closer to, right? We're not going to have the same prejudices towards our spouse and family that we have towards our neighbors, coworkers, and even people we've never met uh, who would be a, a true stranger in this illustration. And, and we're, we're constantly, but the, the person that we le- have the least prejudices against is who? Ourselves. And so, we, so that puts us in the situation where Peter says, having sound judgment and a sober mind. First thing we got to be sound in and sober in is that I am not perfect. And, and, and I am prone to judge others. Uh, basically on the measure of how I judge myself. And so I'm automatically closing the door to hospitality just, just by the nature of who I am. But of course, as believers, who is to be the, the center here? Yeah, Christ. You know, it's not going back to who's seated on the throne of your life if you remember the material from Campus Crusade for Christ. But, but if Christ is the measure by which I'm judging myself, and judging others, and wanting to have that fervent love and Christ-centered love for the people in the church, people in my life and family, and people in the world, as we walk in the world, then it changes my whole perspective on each of these. And it allows me to have that love for strangers. And I would say there are times that we recognize I'm dealing with strangers, my neighbors, co-workers, people in the world. But there are times when I realize I'm dealing with strangers here. There are times when I am offended and I don't desire to love these people. They're just as uh, strange as, as this group here. Meaning I, I'm, I'm, I'm judging, I'm, my, I have a prejudice, I'm being self-centered, I'm selfish... And I'm struggling to even be hospitable to the people that love me dearest. And so that, and that may be what we're dealing with on a Sunday morning when we come here. We're so overwhelmed by the me that I'm allowing, I'm, I'm not exercising sound judgment. Uh, I, I'm not uh, walking with reason in light of the gospel. And I am uh, not able to love and be hospitable, uh, and to have fervent love for one another. 
And so that's really uh, the idea behind uh, this passage and understanding how this leads to the exhortation and the imperative to be hospitable, uh, to show. And this really, the only way we can remedy this is, of course, understanding that we're to deny ourselves, we're to die to ourselves, and we're to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, that we're constantly in our hearts uh, are to walk in the fruit, and that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And if you've ever done a study on those fruits, which we did this summer, we taught uh, in Croatia and our youth camps these fruits, it really is uh, probably the most underestimated, overlooked passage in how to govern our lives as believers that there are. We ought to be constantly reflecting on these fruits in our life. And that is first and foremost, love, joy, peace. The reason that I'm not able to be hospitable because I, I do not rightly reflect on God's love. I'm not filled with the joy of Christ in my life. And there's no peace. I'm distracted. And, and therefore, I'm unable to exercise patience and kindness and goodness. And then even as I relate to the, the, the conflicts that come in my life, that I'm unfaithful, I, I, I'm provoked, I'm not gentle because I'm provoked by life and I'm provoking others and I have no self-control. And so these are the things that have to govern our life that, that give us the ability to express love in hospitable ways towards every context of our life. And again, when you think about the benefit that it has in the church, when we talk about friends and family, but even in outreach, neighbors, coworkers, uh, extended family, that there is great benefit to having hospitable love towards one another. But it begins with understanding the love of God. Um, and and uh, we definitely see this when, he, when Peter goes on and says, be hospitable towards one another without complaint. Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean to complain? And we'll finish up on this discussion. What does it mean to complain? Look at Philippians 2 real quick. We, we know this exhortation because we quote it to one another all the time. But it says in verse 14 of Philippians 2, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Some of your versions will say without uh, complaining. So what does it mean to complain? Okay, so you complain about circumstances, what you have to go through, what else? Okay, we definitely, when we complain about our circumstances, we are in essentially saying that God is not aware or maybe doesn't care or see what I'm going through, so we question His sovereignty. What else? What does it say? What's in our heart, Kelly? Okay. Yeah, we absolutely know that when we are complaining, 
we're basically not happy, right? And we're not happy with our circumstances. We're not happy with people. We're not happy with, with even ourselves. And it definitely reflects an attitude that we are not thankful. And the scriptures are very clear. We're not to complain, but we're also to be thankful in all things at all times. And, and again, it would do us all well to truly understand what it means to have a thankful heart. A lot of times we try to, we confuse what it means to praise God and to thank God. God is always worthy of our praise, regardless, because He is who He is, and, and because He is who He is, He deserves worship. So no matter what's going on in our life, He never changes, so it causes us to worship Him. But, those, but usually we're only thankful for God when we have you know, uh, uh, good circumstances or... or uh, positive things going on, we're willing to then thank or praise God for those things. So our, it's conditional in our hearts and minds. Well, this is what we have to guard against in our attitudes uh, of grumbling and disputing or complaining, is that it goes against everything that God has called us to be, and that is thankful and uh, recognizing His goodness and His love and His power that He is trustworthy. You can trust God in all things. That there's never a time or a circumstance where you have a justified reason to not be thankful or ever a reason to complain. Never. Whether it's towards others about your circumstances or about them, but even more importantly in your heart. There's never a cause for you to complain. Because basically you're just saying, God, you're out of touch. You've lost it. You don't know what's going on. You don't care. Or you, you really have no ability to help. And so I have every right. And it, believe me, I, I have oftentimes moments of complaining in my heart. And it actually can be therapeutic at times. But it's never beneficial. It can help us soothe what we're longing because it says that this is not fair, this is not right, and I deserve better. And for a moment, that may appease the struggle that I have. But yet it is of no benefit because it's based on a lie. Because I do deserve judgment. I, I do not deserve any goodness from God. And that's when we look at to Christ um, foremost in regards to... One who had a right to complain. One who had a right to say, this is not fair. Based on what he subjected himself to uh, in his uh, treatment by us. But it's, what does it say? Like a lamb led to the slaughter, he covered his mouth. He had, when he had a right. But yet we, we, we go out yapping. This is not fair, this is not right. Whether it's in our heart or outward. Okay, this shuts the door to hospitality right away, because once again, the burdens of our life are distracting us, and we're not able to come opening our hearts to hear uh, potentially the burdens and the needs of others because we're so overwhelmed with our own. So this is what Peter's talking about. Do it without complaining. And when you look at the passage in uh, Philippians 2, if you want to figure out what Paul's saying about how do we work out our salvation, because in verse 12, that's the context. He says that... Um, that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work his, for His good pleasure. 
do all things without grumbling or disputing. Okay, if you want to exercise and work out your salvation, stop complaining and recognize God is trustworthy and He is sovereignly in control and He is good. Okay, that's how you work out your salvation. And guess what? There will be strengthening of faith and maturity of belief in how you live your life and how you relate to one another. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about that so that uh, we would prove ourselves blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a cro- crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. The same thing that happened to Israel is no different than what happens to us. Israel was sanctified and set apart to be a light among nations. But what did they keep doing time and time again? They distrusted God and it says, when you read through it, they grumbled and complained constantly about their circumstances. I wish we could go back to Egypt. We've been wandering in this wilderness. Moses is not a good leader. I'm so tired of this manna and and everything the Lord's providing. And time and time again, it led them to disobedience, to distrust God, and it brought about their, uh, God's judgment, but yet blessing. Time and, time. And, and this is the same pattern we have in our own life. We grumble and dispute. Um, so, be hospitable without complaint. Have a glad, joyful heart, recognizing God's goodness in your life, in, in light of the gospel, and but also recognizing that this is how we display ourselves as lights in the world, that we are to prove ourselves blameless. So in, in this context, it means when we think of hospitality, a lot of times we think of it as inconvenient in our life. It's just inconvenient uh, in a material sense to host people, even though I know many of you love doing it, and it, it's always... Uh, not a regretful thing, but it is a challenge to your time. It can be inconvenient. But in the same way, um, when we have the attitude of hospitality, when we desire to pursue people, it, it can be inconvenient. It can be distracting because I'm too overwhelmed with my own burdens. I don't have time to hear others. And, and I want somebody to listen to me and hear what's on my heart. Uh, so it goes beyond... Uh, just the inconvenience or the struggle to host. But really, it's the willingness and ability to show love towards one another without complaint. Uh, and it's really a test of, of that Christ-like love in our life uh, that we're to have towards God, a love that we're to have towards His people, and a love that we're to have towards the world that we are to desire to pursue because we care, we have compassion for, uh, in ways that are just beyond words, right? Uh, our actions have to speak for us, not just our words. So it is love in action. And again, in closing, I just want to encourage you as you examine your heart on these things and desiring to uh, be obedient and faithful to this command that Peter gives us to be hospitable without complaint, to let love cover Please do not be tempted to evaluate how others are treating you. Are people being hospitable to me? Well, that wasn't a very hospitable thing to say. Well, that wasn't a very caring thing to say. Okay, take the opportunity to let the the Word of God 
uh, bear light in your own attitude, your own efforts to show love to one another, whether it's in your family, in the church, or in the world. And then pray for one another. Pray that we could be a hospitable church. Knowing we're not perfect, knowing we have weaknesses, pray that, that I could lead the way and that, that, that people would have the same burden that I have to show hospitality and to show love. And I, I just can't imagine the joy that would fill our hearts, the joy that would fill this body. And whether it's Sunday morning or at a community group or in a small group or in an a, a opportunity to, to serve someone, that if we could do it with loving, hospitable attitudes, uh, free from complaining or, or inconvenience, it would absolutely strengthen this body. And it would uh, cause the light of this community of believers to shine. And it would impact this local community, but it would also impact your communities wherever you live, work, serve, uh, wherever you may be. So be hospitable towards one another without complaint. Any thoughts, questions, comments, complaints? (laughs) If so, take it to the Lord first and then come see me. (laughs) No, but I I want it, of course. I'm open. Um, But yeah, thank you for your time and allowing me to come these last two weeks. And uh, Joe will be back next week. I'm not sure if he'll be starting Hosea, but I know he's going that direction here uh, in the coming months and years. So let's pray.